0: I remember getting two songs into my set. I got my dancers and everything else. And the sound going out. People start booing. Yo, Yaga Boy, you want already got your money. Not my greatest moment. Here it comes. comes. You're listening to Fresh Era,
1: where we tell stories of the legends from the golden era of hip-hop. Each episode, we bring you stories from the pioneers themselves as we dive deep into their lives, their struggles, and what it was like to be a part of the most popular form of music before it was mainstream. I'm your host, Craig Smith. A lot of times, when we talk to rappers about their rise to success, there are certain commonalities. It's not uncommon to hear stories about growing up rough, hustling, and the constant pressure to participate in street activities. It says a lot about the conditions around the creation of hip-hop itself. The 1980s were a tough time, especially in New York. It's easy being so familiar with the environment to forget that hip-hop culture is made up of all kinds of personalities and struggles. One unique story is that of Young MC. To tell you his story, we have to get familiar with his personality. He's more analytical than off-the-cuff, more practical than emotional, and takes his craft and goals seriously.
0: My name is Marvin Young. I was born in a town called Neasden outside of London, England. My parents were Jamaican, and the typical migration from Jamaica was not to the U.S. at the time. It was taking a boat to England. I don't have any memories of London whatsoever. We moved to New York, I want to say, when I was either two or three. My first real childhood memory start up in Queens Village slash Hollis, Queens.
1: People normally have a certain image of rappers from Queens. Nas, 50 Cent. Run DMC, all Queens natives who used hip hop as an escape from poverty, drugs, and
0: violence. While this element was all around him growing up, his experience was a little different. Really nice neighborhood, nice house, big house. There's was a solid middle-class upbringing. His father worked for the phone company
1: and his mother was a nurse. Their temperament and determination for a better life taught young Marvin to work hard and pay attention in school. It also gave him academic dreams.
0: I mean, I was a really nerdy kid. I mean, I have friends that would say that Marvin was the nerdy kid. He walked around with his briefcase and he was, you know, he was the studious one and, and the like. That and he didn't show any early signs of being a natural in front of a crowd. I took piano lessons as a kid and my first recital, I'm doing a duet with my piano teacher and my hands aren't moving and she's trying to reach over and do some of my part and I just totally froze. If I'm not mistaken, she's even between me and the audience, but I'm just there and in that moment I froze.
1: But all that didn't stop him from experiencing the music all around him, music that would later become
0: the fuel for his career. Some of it was my dad's record collection. But his record collection focused on a lot of reggae, being Jamaican, uh, Parliament Funkadelic, the album with Flashlight, some R&B, and some rock stuff. And eventually, he was exposed to hip-hop. I started hanging out with the friends that I played stickball with, and one of my good friends, Jeff Taylor. Also known as Grandmaster Key or Born Key. Had uh, turntables in his basement. Born Key would have two copies of Last Night Change It All, or two copies of Good Times, or two copies of Walk This Way. And I went down there either, I want to say either 10 or 11 years old, and heard somebody rapping, I was hooked.
1: Hooked because even though he was really into school, he still felt there was something missing.
0: I was a really studious kid, so I felt like I was spending a lot of my time making sure that I could show people I knew how to read books. I did a paper in high school and it was some social studies project and it was basically regurgitating what was in a book. But the topic had something to do with what was going on in current events. So I literally regurgitated the book. Then I took a little over a page to express my opinion on it. I literally got an A minus slash D on the paper. A minus for where I regurgitated the book, D for my own opinion. If you're talking about, you know, 77, 78, <laughs> you know, you're not looking for the opinion of an 11-year-old kid. But you can get that in terms of rhyming in hip-hop. Hip-hop served as a release for me. If I had ideas about certain things, being able to do it in rhyme, being able to do it with the perfect cadence, that was, in, that was appealing to me.
1: That's when he got down with his good friend Born Key, who
0: had a massive crew. Born Key and company, at our height, there were four DJs and 11 MCs.
1: They'd record the tapes and throw huge parties. And while he was accepted with open arms in his new
0: crew, he was still always the youngest one. Guys would go to get girls and and people would make fun of me because other guys would be dancing with girls and I'd be dancing with the mic. Because I literally, I'm 11 and 12 years old. And in true Marvin Young fashion,
1: he dissected the art and explored more than just one form of expression in hip hop.
0: I remember when when breakdancing was hot, I was a DJ and an MC and and a breakdancing crew, digging through crates and, and going everywhere I can to try and find... Beats and any kind of drum breaks. I didn't realize how much of an influence those those things had on me. I rhymed over all of that stuff.
1: But in the meantime, his biggest influence was still school.
0: I was in accelerated classes since second grade, so gifted programs, and went to Hunter College High School, which is you know school you got to take a test for and get in. And I think three thousand kids took the test, and only two fifty got in. And
1: that accelerated path wasn't about to be
0: forsaken. I'm not the kind of person that will enjoy a vacation if there's work to be done. So there's no way that I could be totally free with my hip-hop obsession <laughs> if, my, if my schoolwork wasn't done. Part of the motivation for getting my schoolwork done was knowing that I could go and write some rhymes or go and get on a literal mixtape. And with that, Marvin Young becomes Young MC. It's my last name and an MC, and I was always the youngest one in the room. So I was 10, 11 years old around guys that were, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18, and I had to kind of compete with them.
1: He was also coming of age in a fertile area of hip hop. Influential queens, DJs,
0: MCs, and producers were always close by. I cut my first demo (laughs) as a singing song, actually, with Davey DMX. Davey DMX, you're all the best.
1: Davy Dmx, a DJ, songwriter, and producer who worked with Curtis Blow, Run DMC, Public Enemy, and co-wrote Jimmy Spicer's song "Money," which I'm sure you've quoted. Bill, bill, dollar, 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 dollar
0: bill, so, David Dmx literally lived about four or five blocks from me. So I'd walk to his house and i cut my first record with him.
1: If he wasn't knocking out schoolwork, he was hard at work honing his craft as a rapper and a DJ. He approached everything
0: scientifically. I have a system of writing where I literally underline downbeats and I put certain marks under certain cadences. I would practice it enough where I'd say, okay, this downbeat should go here. I'm gonna triple up here. I'm gonna slow down here. I'm gonna take a breath here. And I would notate all of that on my rhymes. Being so invested in writing was definitely paying off, but it came with some drawbacks. When I was rapping in, in Queens, I couldn't remember my rhymes, so I literally carried my rhymes around in a bag and I would read them. It's just my head was so full of school stuff, and I remember I'm at a block party, and I'm reading my rhymes, doing my thing, and a a shootout broke out. And everybody ran, and I dropped my bag, and I left my bag. And I had to come back, I think it was a kid named Hector. I want to say it was a kid named Hector. Went to his house. He was near it. And he had the bag. And he had read all my rhymes. He said, you know, you're a good rapper, but you got to take care of these more. And you got to learn how to memorize your stuff.
1: With that experience, he was moving on to the next level. He used his intellect and dedication to enhance his skills. And now he had experience in the studio and he was
0: writing a ton. The idea was to get on the radio. The idea was to get heard and... At the time, there were some college radio stations that played hip-hop on AM. So I remember when Rapper's Delight came out. They talked about regular stuff, hip-hop, hop, all that. The biggest thing for me is that I was able to hear the hi-hats because it was on FM. And that was really an inspiration because it showed me what hip-hop could be. I just kept at it. This was more than
1: enough for him to see this as a long-term activity, something he can do in tandem with his pursuit of a degree.
0: You go to school, you get your grades, you're on the track to get whatever job doing, you know, in my case would be either, you know, some kind of Wall Street thing. If I was to go to grad school, I probably would have tried to get my MBA. I was led to be an MC because of the possibilities. There would be some element Of fame, notoriety, just the way that people regarded me and my profession that went well beyond anything you would get with an MBA. That mysticism intrigued me.
1: But he needed to do both school and music to appease his life goals. He had become a part of this new thing called hip hop, but he still had the persistent influence of his parents.
0: A lot of times you hear parents of athletes or parents of musicians be so gung-ho and be show parents or athlete parents and my parents were not that they wanted me to get my degree they wanted me to do what i wanted but they definitely wanted me to be prepared because neither of them at the time you know when i was going to college neither of them had a college degree so after
1: high school he stuck to the plan he was accepted into usc and started his journey towards a degree in economics by moving to los angeles as far as hip-hop there was still much to be discovered. He was coming straight from the hip-hop scene in Queens, so the West Coast was like a different planet with different DJs, MCs, and culture. Coming up, young MC goes to college and gets the opportunity to be heard like never before. Then later, his musical ambitions go from the block party stage to the biggest stage of them all. Hey, Chub Rock here. Thanks for tuning in to Fresh Era. Did you know that the guys over at Stupid Fly are doing this strictly out of love for 90s hip-hop culture? They may make it sound easy, but tons of time and money was spent on creating, writing, mixing these episodes. If you like what you hear, please do me a favor. Go to stupid-fly.com and pick up some merch to show your support. Then follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Stupid Fly Media. Come and be part of our community of golden era gladiators. Once again that's stupid-fly.com. Now head over there and treat them right. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Welcome back. So Marvin Young, better known as Young MC, was a nerdy kid on his way to college, but had developed an all-out obsession with hip-hop. He was an MC and a DJ who couldn't get enough. And during his breaks from college at USC, he would go back to New York. It's back home on the East Coast where he would find a cheap and reliable source for all of his
0: hip-hop needs. The best record store and the cheapest was a place called Rockin' and Soul. And the owners of that store actually distributed records to record stores all over the country. So in doing that, they were able to sell records at a cheaper price than anybody in the city. There was a guy named Eric that worked there. He thought it was a bit of a nerd because I'm like, I want everything on Def Jam. So I just buy everything on Def Jam, even if it wasn't good. And there was some stuff on Def Jam. It wasn't the greatest, but they, hey, Leo and them, they were putting that stuff out. So I'm talking to Eric and I'm like, you know, I want to rhyme, I want to this, I want to that. He had the opportunity for me to cut a demo for a independent record company that I never heard of, never saw a record on, but he said he had a connection with him. And obviously he's working in the best record store in the city, hey, why not? This was after sophomore year at USC. So that summer, I cut the demos with him, didn't work out with the guys in New York, But he knew Mike Ross and Matt Dyke from Delicious, and he sent the stuff to them.
1: Delicious Vinyl, the West Coast indie label responsible for putting out hip-hop greats like the Far Side, Master Ace, and rapper, soon-to-be actor, Tone Loke. But we'll get back to Tone Loke later. The demos that Young MC and Eric had put together were composed of verses that Young MC had stashed for years, and they were about to come in handy. They
0: literally called me on the phone while I was in my dorm room getting ready for junior year. I, I spit probably about six, seven verses that appeared on my first record. And within a week, they sent me a contract in the mail.
1: His obsession with hip hop was starting to show real returns. He now had a record deal and was making demos using the rhymes he crafted while in middle and high school. The first song completed during the deal with Delicious Vinyl was called I Let Him Know.
0: Because my name is Younger C, I'm not going to mic, this my crap. But when I first started, everyone just laughed. Because I got rocked and rolled, let out in the cold. Because I was trying to battle men when I was 10 years old. I Let Them Know came out soon after I uh, signed with Delicious. That was the first record that I recorded. There were verses on my first record that I wrote when I was 12, 13, 14 years old. And then I put out on my first record at 20.
1: And one of those records that he made early
0: in his deal was a lyrical work of art called Know How. I made the track for Know How myself and the rhymes were at about 112 BPM. Delicious gets it, they give it to the Dust Brothers.
1: That's Easy Mike and King Gizmo, who were little-known producers at the time, but would go on to collaborate with the Beastie Boys on their critically acclaimed album, Paul's Boutique.
0: The Dust Brothers said, no, he should rhyme that over this. They give me a track that's literally somewhere around 118. The rhymes I was writing didn't really fit that track, but they wanted me to rhyme my 111 BPM rhymes over that 118 track. I didn't hear that track and say, oh, I'm going to come up with these rhymes. Those rhymes were sped up, and it was really difficult at first. And I did my best. But so you think that this your destiny to get the best of me. But I suggest to be quiet, or don't even try from the east and west of me. Taking it and never breaking it or even shaking it. Grooving it and always moving it because I'm not making it. it. It was a great decision. Came out hot. But for me as an artist, it was a struggle. Nevertheless,
1: Young MC was starting to bubble. He was an East Coast kid on the West Coast, and those records were starting to get played on K-Day, L.A.'s original hip-hop station. Being in rotation
0: also put him on stages all throughout Los Angeles. Performing in L.A., you have Skateland, you have World on Wheels, you have the Casa, and I don't know anything about, you know, gang territory, whatever, these are in different gang neighborhoods, whatever, whatever. Some, Some are close to USC, some are further. I didn't know where because I was being driven. I didn't drive. I get on stage, and... Invariably, I would be in the company of NWA, Tidy T., and I was just a college kid, but I rhymed really well. And here's the important thing. I came from New York, but I'm not... Saying that I'm from New York Every two seconds If anybody asks me Yeah I'm from New York I learned how to rhyme in New York I became a West Coast rapper Through that experience
1: While East Coast acts Like De La Soul Nice and Smooth And Special Ed Were making waves Representing New York
0: It seemed Young MC Was fortunate to be where he was My skills were developed In the East But if I stayed in the East There's a pecking order This guy's there before you This guy's older than you This guy's been doing it Longer than you Let alone the fact Your records have to sound A certain way If I stayed on the East Coast You never would've heard of me Being able to go out And perform for West Coast fans And perform in front of West Coast artists They see I respected What they did And I respected rap on the West Coast Because a lot of West Coast rappers would come up And guys on the East Coast would just kind of dismiss them And I won't lie, that was ingrained in me Before I came out It's like, oh West Coast rappers ain't this, they ain't that And then I come out and I'm dealing with these guys And I see how sincere they are About what they're talking about It's the same hunger for self-expression that I had In my music, in my way So I had to respect that
1: that respect would allow him to become a wordsmith for a future West Coast legend, Tone Loke. He was also signed to Delicious Vinyl, and before Young MC could finish his album, he had a homework assignment.
0: Tone was writing stuff, and they were coming up with the ideas, and and like for wild thing. And Tone would write some, you know, hard stuff, some street stuff. So they wanted me to write for Tone, but they didn't want to tell Tone I was writing for Tone. He analyzed the tracks he got from the label and approached it strategically. I felt his voice would sound better with a slower cadence. He rhymed a lot faster on some of his low tempo stuff, but I'm like, you know, his voice would sound great if he could stretch these words out. So Young MC took his first steps into
1: hip hop history by pinning Tone Loke's Wild Thing. Working all week, not a five for my money. On the weekend cubs, I go get live with the honey. And Tone Loke's Funky Cold Medina. a ball, and I'm looking for some action. But like Mick Jagger said, I can't get no
0: satisfaction. So people often ask me, why didn't you do Wild Thing? Why didn't you do Funky Cold Medina? I never would have wrote those records like that for me. I wrote them like that for him. I don't even know if I did a demo, to be honest. It was just about me getting the rhyme written, getting it to them. Them getting it to tone, tone, tone making it in his own, which he did. That record was broken on K Rock. That was what was amazing to me. We're talking about an alternative rock station.
1: This was big because hip hop wasn't widely accepted. The fact that this hip hop song made it anywhere past K Day in Los Angeles radio was not just a good sign, it was the beginning of something big. Way bigger than what Young MC and Tone Loke
0: imagined. I remember, I'll never forget this conversation. We sat in a room, and Loke said that he hoped it was, you know, made enough money that he could buy a car. And I said, I, I hope it makes enough money so I can pay off my student loans. And that was it.
1: They didn't know that they had just created and released two of the most successful songs in hip-hop history. Tone Loke's 1988 single,
0: Wild Thing, was the first hip-hop single to be certified Platinum. It sold close to 4 million And the interesting thing The label Island got so freaked out At how many singles It was selling And stopped making singles It probably could have sold 5, 6, 7 million At that point If not more Because people kept Buying the singles But they wanted Loke to sell albums Funky Comedina comes out And that helped sell the album But I remember specifically Where he, he, was, he was like Triple platinum And like Oh what should we be Pressing up this, this many singles We're not making as much money On these singles And literally it was Second to we Are the world At that point
1: Tone Loke was huge And Young MC Was a big part of that success this he was working out new material in the studio, performing around town, and his music was spinning on the radio. But seeing as he didn't have any music videos and Tone Loke was the face of his biggest musical
0: successes to date, he was still Marvin to people at school. There was no change in my status on campus when Wild Thing and Funky Col Medina came out because it was pretty much word of mouth of me telling people that I wrote them. Those records have blown up a little bit. Also, a, camp, a campus, you're pretty ins- insulated. So it's not like people are hearing the records all the time. They may see the videos, but I was not the videos there was more my reaction of like oh my god what have I done I've given away my you know my best two records to another artist you know what's gonna happen when I put my stuff out Wild Thing and Funky Comedina blown up as big as they did made the label Reconsider and me Reconsider and it came with the track that would become Bust the Move.
1: His huge writing success showed Mike Ross and Matt Dyke at Delicious Vinyl that Young MC was a winner. They were ready to make his album a priority. He had graduated to a place in music where it was time for him to grow as an artist.
0: I became a songwriter in the creation of the second half of that album. I wasn't a songwriter. I was a great rapper and I was a great rap writer. We literally was in uh, Matt's second floor apartment and there was a I want to say a 16 track in one room and one of the closets was the vocal booth
1: it's easy to forget that while all of this is happening the record deal the hit songs with Tone Loke Young MC was still in college.
0: I was still caught up in the whole expressing myself part of it. So I'm literally, I wasn't driving, so I was getting picked up by Orlando, who worked for the label, at you know, at, on campus and being driven to the studio, you know, for me to lay my record.
1: And for the creation of Young MC's next hit, the guys at Delicious Vinyl called up a Los Angeles bass player who would eventually go down as a legend.
0: I had heard of Red Hot Chili Peppers, and I knew that they were a local band in L.A. I probably had opened for him. But he
1: was still unaware of the amazingly talented bass player, Flea. They brought him in to do work on the single, but Young MC wasn't there.
0: I'm not driving to the studio, so I'm not going to see Flea play. If they're not picking me up to come sit in on the session, there's no reason. I'm not producing the record. I need to be there to rap. Flea played on my record. I didn't meet him until after the record was done. Flea, his bass line... Pretty much makes Bust the Move, but he was just hired, you know, to do a session and do some stuff. And a lot of what you hear in that song is him riffing. So once he got in the studio, the track had been built
1: and it was time for him to do what he did best. And I wrote a song called
0: Make That Move.
1: The guys at the label changed it to Busta Move. And they created something special. A girl runs up with something to prove, so They released Bust a Move in May of 1989 during finals week at USC. Before we get to how the single performed, it's important to know what happened next for Young MC. He graduated college with a degree in economics. Now he was finally in a position to go all in on either a career in music or a job using his economics degree. With his career showing signs of momentum,
0: he struck a deal with his parents. Give me until the fall and if I if nothing happens with this rap thing I'll either go get a job or I'll go to grad school so that pressure is on me while I'm trying to promote doing little things here and, there, and then the record just blows up
1: after the break Buster move blows up and launches young MC into a whole nother category of success but not everybody's excited about how he did it he's about to get the fame the money the awards and the hate when we come back Listen, nobody cares when the War of 1812 was fought or how many states there are in the U.S. We all know that there are 52, I think. What we really care about is which famous gangster rapper actually started as a backup dancer. Or how many ladies per capita love Cool James. This is Magic Most, host of the new classic hip-hop gamecast, Headspin. Brought to you by Stupid plot Our first show launches on Wednesday, June 30th. But you can subscribe today. Headspin, the world's first and greatest golden era hip-hop game cast. Delve into the shadows of the mind. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Bust a Move by Young MC was released in May of 1989. It looked like the single was going to be a hit, and it was just the latest in a slew of successes for Young MC. He had always strived for a balance between music and academics. He successfully graduated college with a degree in economics, secured a record deal while in college, became a fixture in Los Angeles hip hop, and wrote two chart topping
0: singles while in his dorm room. And then it just kept going. And then I have my economics degree, and then I look around and say, okay, economically, the best thing for me to do is keep doing music. and in making this decision,
1: he commits to foregoing a career in economics. This catapulted him into a new routine of press runs and guest appearances. Now he wasn't just on K-Day. He was on Showtime at the Apollo. The, 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 the Arsenio Hall Show. He was everywhere. Looking back, you would expect a song like Bust the Move to have dominated the charts from the moment the song dropped.
0: This was not the case. The thing about Bustin' Move that's weird is that we never got video, radio, and sales at the same time. The video played a lot, which gave us some sales, and then radio started jumping on it. Then they started playing the video less, and then by the time radio was really on it, it was pretty much sold. So if I were to ask you, where on the pop charts did Buster Move top out? You would assume it was a number one record. No. Buster Move topped out at number seven.
1: And while that seems less than ideal... It didn't stop the progress of the single. While the sales were climbing towards number seven, Young MC just had one wish. Please go gold. Gold being the certification that sales reached 500,000 units. You know, and it took
0: longer because I didn't have a breakout like Tone had with K-Rock. It took a while, but it was national. And even with it peaking at number seven. It stayed on the charts for 40 weeks, meaning it stayed on the top 200 through my second single, third single. And
1: beyond. Bust Move had done better than anyone could have predicted, and everyone knew his
0: name. I'm running into all these people. I'm running into Axel Rose, and Axel Rose talked about how he played my music outside of bus stops that people would dance.
1: But as Peter Parker's Uncle Ben said, with great power comes great responsibility. Or in Young MC's case, with great praise comes great pressure.
0: It was a YouTube concert, and I met Bruce Springsteen. I go up, and it's Springsteen High, whatever, you know, put on my first record, and, you know, and I almost double platinum. And he looked at me and he said, I feel sorry for you. He says, because you have nowhere to go. He says his first record sold 50 or 100,000 units, like 50,000 units. So he had a fan base to build on and to work on. It's like, if you start at a million, where do you have to go, especially in a new genre? And it really opened my eyes because he wasn't being mean or anything. He's like a sincere statement that he said to me, but it showed me what I'd be up against.
1: In the meantime, however, things were looking up. His debut album, Stone Cold Rhyming, was released in the fall of 1989. It featured his first few singles, Bust a Move, and production from Quincy Jones. Young MC was in the spotlight, and he was winning. He won Best New Rap Artist at the 1990 American Music Awards. And the winner is Young MC. With that award in the bag, there was still more. Bust a Move had secured its spot on the charts, and now it had won him a coveted nomination at the
0: 32nd Annual Grammy Awards. I was the first hip hop artist to get a televised Grammy, and the second hip hop artist to get a Grammy overall.
1: Young MC won Best Rap Performance at the 32nd Annual Grammy Awards, beating out Public Enemy, oh. DJ Jazzy Jeff, and The Fresh Prince. I think I can beat Mike Tyson. De La Soul, it's just me, my soul and, I, and his good friend Tone Loc. Funky Coma But likely his crowning achievement was making his parents proud.
0: I'll never forget my parents. They would always talk to me about like, "Oh, you should get a real job." And this is this is like during the summer of '89, before the Grammy, before anything else. That changed when my mom went to work, and one of her coworkers said, "Your son is famous. Why are you still working?" And the fact that her coworker knew who I was, knew what I was doing, and it wasn't just some you know summer hobby that Marvin went off and did, that was like a woe for both of them. I remember when I got my awards, they made a little plaque for me, you know, saying that they appreciate my accomplishments because they were so impressed with my awards, whether it be the Platinum Records or the Grammy or whatever, they wanted to give me something to put on my shelf.
1: That same year, at the height of his success, he was asked to be a part of the mother of all posse cuts. Mike Conception, a founding member of the Los Angeles Crips, was putting together an anthem geared at stopping the street violence around the nation, specifically in California. He had secured verses from N.W.A., Ice-T, Tone Loke, MC
0: Hammer, Digital Underground, and more. It was at a point, early 90s, where the gang problem was tough. I wanted to put bars down that would be helpful to people. I go to the studio, Dre's there, and I know Dre. So I do my verse, get to the end, and I think I kind of do it slow, like all in the same gang. Whatever I did at the end of the verse, I kind of led into what I thought would be a hook, because I just did 16 bars. He's like, yo, yo, no, 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 no. Do it where where it finishes before the downbeat. Because I didn't realize how many people were going to be on it. I didn't realize where they're going to put me editing-wise. And um, him producing me in that moment helped me so much. You know, he let me embrace my own character and kind of run with it and not have to sound like everybody else. He's like, nah, do your thing. Just let it fit what I got to do. Brothers. Killing other the brothers I thought the idea was to love one another Open up the paper to one more death If y'all keep this up then there'll be no one left
1: that West Coast love didn't come without some tension. This was the beginning of a tense East versus West Coast rivalry. And there were some hip-hop figures on
0: the East Coast who didn't particularly care for how Young MC moved to the West Coast and blew up. I went out to the L.A. and I got a double platinum record and a Grammy. And, you know, a lot of guys making records in New York want to get out of New York. They want the records to, all right, I'm out of New York. I'm, I'm down to Jersey and Delaware and up to Boston. I want to go all the way to Florida and I want to go West. And I started from the West and I, my record blew up. In, in, you know, every state The skill I displayed on my record Came in second place to Whatever hate they had about my success And I I just didn't understand that So I remember there was a show I want to say it was in Washington, D.C. And I'm performing with a bunch of East Coast artists But I'm going on later in the show Than I'm used to going on I remember getting two songs into my set I got my dancers and everything else And the sound going out and then it comes back on for a little bit, blah, blah, blah. People start booing. I'm trying my best to get through it, and they start booing and talking shit. And, you know, this is at a point I'm feeling myself, whatever. It's like, yo, y'all can boo all you want. I already got your money. Not my greatest moment. And in
1: the midst of everything, the relationship between Young MC and Delicious Vinyl started to unravel. Young MC won it out of his deal alleging that he couldn't make the music he wanted to make without meddling from the label. Delicious Vinyl sued for breach of contract, resulting in a settlement. He signed with Capitol Records and released his second album, Brainstorm, in 91. The album went gold and peaked at 61 on the hip-hop charts. Slowly, Young MC's momentum declined. But remember, his hit song, Bust a Move, was still on the charts. Not bad for a self-proclaimed nerdy kid. He set out to achieve academic and musical successes and had far exceeded anyone's expectations all this and he retained his analytical practical outlook on life his success in music and his economics degree weren't separate after all they're an extension of who he is i've never bought
0: a new car in my life never as soon as you drive it off the lot it's you lose 30 percent. so i'll get a really nice car but it'll be pre-owned and i've always been like that and as for all the ups and downs along the way If I'm going to go back and take something that I perceive as bad now and say I'm going to change that, I look at the past as like a quilt or a sweater. I can't change that one thing and keep all the good things in place. Me changing one thing that didn't go right might... Have changed five things that did go right.
1: And so much has gone right for Young MC that his legacy in hip-hop is secure. Wild Thing and Bust A Move are still two of the most beloved songs of all time, even outside of hip-hop. And Young MC still tours the world performing,
0: though he has deeper ambitions. There are millions of people that know Young MC. I want people to kind of know Marvin Young when I'm not on stage.
1: era is a Stupid Fly production written and edited by me, Craig Smith, and made perfect by the phenomenal DJ Cheap Shot. Chris Barnett makes us look good to investors. Sean Berman is our mix engineer. Our music is by The Math Club. Artwork by Michael Bonanno. You can find us on social media at Stupid Fly Media. And all of our real fans can catch us at Stupid-Fly.com, where you can learn more about us and buy Stupid Fly merchandise. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, or however you listen to the show. We'll see you on the next episode of Fresh Era.